Thank you, Brother Stanley. Thank you, worship ministry, for leading us today. Um, to add one more piece of thanksgiving to Brother Stanley's prayer, and then just in thanksgiving to our Lord, um, for as long as I can remember in church, um, every church I've been a part of, every pastor I've had the privilege of serving other, under, every prayer group I've been a part of that has prayed especially for our nation has prayed that our nation's law regarding Roe versus Wade would change. That has been prayed for probably more than just about anything in our nation for 50 years. And that has changed this week. And... And as you have watched the news like I have, and you know there's a lot of hurting hearts, there's a lot of people that are seeking to understand, and uh, I would just remind each of us here in this room that the people who disagree with us or see the world differently at the end of the day are our neighbors, and we are called to love our neighbors. But today is a day of gratitude as I think about this. And of course, if you know my story, this one hits close to home for me and the things that, that we have faced. But I would extend to you and encourage you to continue to pray for our leaders, continue to pray for the nation, continue to pray for the church of the living God that we might be peacemakers, therefore we might be called the sons of God. And that also, um, that we would be advocates for life, not just of the unborn, but for every age of life and seeking to be the kind of good neighbors that the Lord has called us to be. I know we've just prayed, but can we pray one more time? Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning. Lord, we just bow before you. Father, I'm just in awe of what has happened this week. And Lord, I'm, my heart is filled with gratitude as well as, Lord, my heart is also filled with hurt for our nation, knowing where we are in such a divided state on so many things, Lord. Lord, I pray that we, your church, Lord, may be peacemakers and that, uh, that the life that we advocate is first and foremost the life of Jesus, which provides eternal life for everyone who believes. Lord, I do continue to pray for our nation, pray for our president, the vice president, all the judiciary branch and legislative branches and all of our local and state governments. Lord, I pray you would fill our leaders with all wisdom. And Lord, will you fill our land with peace? Lord, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus, the Prince of Peace. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I would invite you to turn to John 21. John 21, as we look at the very last two verses of John. The very last two verses of John. We began the Gospel of John in October of 2019. And now here we are at the end of, not all things, but at the end of John, and hopefully 
you've learned a thing or two. I must say personally, as I have studied the Gospel of John, it has been more personally enriching for me than any Bible study that I have ever had to prepare for. One of the things that if you're a Bible teacher, a Sunday school teacher, or a pastor, the privilege that you get is preparation. During the week, I get time to sit down, and I get time to to study the great men and women's writings who've written on the subject of understanding this particular gospel, and I'm able to immerse myself in those things. And there are some things that are so meaningful to me that don't exactly translate from the pulpit, me sharing them with you, but I have been able to enjoy them personally. And I hope also that you have been able to enjoy what God has been doing in your life and you have learned things as well. Hopefully there is a deeper appreciation for the Word of God and the Gospel of John, this unusual Gospel compared to the other three, it's written so differently. Let me read to you the last two verses, and then we're going to look at another two verses that we have already looked at, but commentators of all stripes seem to suggest that these two things should be taken in tandem. This morning's message is, it's not about me. It's not about me. Verses 24 and 25. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written... I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I want you to look also back in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. These two verses, they seem to summarize the message of John. Chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Hear the similarity here with 21, 24 through 25. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So, our main statement here is an unfinished one this morning. As we reach the end of John's Gospel Here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about John as an old man. History tells us that John likely wrote this in his senior years. It was believed that there were other early church fathers, such as Clement and others, that encouraged John, that they had the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke, but they felt like in the words of, that I observed in the commentaries this week, that a spiritual gospel should be written. That something needed to be added to fuller, ex, more fully express who Jesus is. And that's why we have the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John has spun around these seven signs, and we've looked at those. The Gospel of John is also, it begins with the grand opening of in the beginning that Jesus was the Word of God and He was with God and all things were made by Him and through Him. All of those things we've observed from John 1 and from John 1 all through John 21, the fact that Jesus is the Son of God is something that 
John continues to hammer away, which leads me to the first principle, because as we reach the end of John's gospel, what does John say and what has he said? Well, as he aged, John only became more persuaded Jesus is the Son of God. As he aged, John only became more persuaded that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, we all know about aging. Some of us are more acquainted with aging than others. But we all know about aging. And there are things that we become more sure of, and there are things that we become less sure of. There are, you've heard me say on multiple occasions, is the older I get, the more persuaded I become that there truly are blacks and whites when it comes to morally right, morally wrong, absolute truths. There are blacks and whites in the world. The more older I get, the more persuaded I become that there are black, there is black and white in the world. However, at the same time, the older I get, the more persuaded I become of just how few those things really are. I'm not saying that there are not moral absolutes. I'm just saying that there are not as many as I thought there were, as I thought were there when I was younger. And the older I get, the more I realize, you know what, there's a lot of gray in the world. Not everything is perfect perfectly clear we don't have an answer for everything but the answers that we do have the absolute truths that Jesus is the son of God that the Bible is his word these are things that you can hang your hat on stake your life on so there are things that we become more persuaded of as we age and there are also things that we become less persuaded of as we age and the things that we are more persuaded of, we tend to migrate our life towards. And John has done exactly that. Talking about aging, Mike Kudamanis is sitting down here. He came by the office this week. And Mike, I'm going to tell that thing you laid on me this week. This is so good. I don't know where he came up with this, but th this is a good one. He said there were three women living together. One was 96, another one was 94, and another one was 92. And anyway, they lived together there in their, their sunset years. And one, one of them, was, they were all three downstairs, and one of them said, you know what, I'm going to go upstairs and get in the bathtub. And she was the 96-year-old. So she started to go up the stairs, and she got into the bathtub. But once she put her foot into the bathtub, she was unsure of whether she was getting in the bathtub or getting out of the bathtub. So she yelled down to her friends and said, hey, I don't know if I'm getting in or out of the tub. Could somebody come and help me? And the 94-year-old said, oh my goodness, I'll go up there and help this woman. So she goes up the stairs, and halfway up the stairs, she forgot if she was actually going up the stairs or down the stairs. And so she reached this situation where she needed some help. So she, she called out, and she said, oh my goodness, I need help. I'm on the stairway, and I don't know if I'm going up or I'm going down. And the 92-year-old thought, oh goodness gracious. These women, I am never, ever, ever going to let myself get in that kind of shape. She said, knock on wood, I'll never let myself get this bad. And the lady on the stairs said, hey, are you going to come and help us? She said, yeah, I'll be right there. Let me see who's at the door first. <laughs> That's a good one. So Mike laid that on me, and that was good. We all know that there are things that we forget as we're older, but there are things that become more precious to us as 
we age. John became more persuaded of several things. First of all, he became more persuaded of his power. As we look back in John's gospel, you don't have to turn there, but in John chapter 1, verses 48 through 51, there's the story of the call of Nathanael, where Jesus prophetically reveals that he saw Nathanael before Nathanael came to him. And I don't know if you remember this, but specifically, Jesus says to Nathanael after this, after Nathanael says, truly, you are the Son of God. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There are things that we have seen. John has become more persuaded of his power. In the beginning, when John was just a young man following Jesus, they knew Jesus was special. They knew there was something different about him. But as he aged, as they saw him feed the 5,000, walk on water, raise Lazarus from the dead, as they heard the teachings with authority and all of these things, and then ultimately die on the cross and be raised from the dead, John became more persuaded of Jesus' power. And I hope that's true of us, that the older we get, the more persuaded we become that Jesus is powerful, that He is able. Also, another thing that John became more persuaded of is he became more persuaded of His presence. John became more persuaded of Jesus' presence. Jesus has now appeared to them in the upper room, just appeared right before them. And He is now, we know from the Gospel of Matthew, has promised to be with them always to the end of the age. John, as he has aged, has become more persuaded, not just of Jesus' power of raising Lazarus from the dead and so on forth, but that Jesus truly is with his disciples. And also, as he aged, John only became more persuaded Jesus is the Son of God, and he became more persuaded of his promises. Look again there in verse number 30 of chapter 20 it says Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book what's John saying he's saying listen I saw the power and I was in his presence but there's one more thing but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name The thing I think about here is John chapter 3, the glorious discussion of salvation with Jesus and Nicodemus as Jesus ensured Nicodemus that everyone who believes will have everlasting life. And as John comes to the end of Jesus' ministry as he's thinking about it, he sums it all up by saying, listen, if you'll trust the promises and believe who He is, you will be saved. So, as he aged, John only became more persuaded Jesus is the Son of God. But number two, number two is as he aged, John became more persuaded of the simplicity of the Gospel. As he aged, John became more persuaded of the simplicity of the Gospel. Look again in verse 31, I just read it. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Now, I know this is something that we teach to our children, that Jesus is God. And that's something I want my children to learn. At prayer time the other night, I was sitting there with my two youngest daughters. We have an individual prayer time with them. They 
stay in an upstairs bedroom at our house. And Ainsley, my five-year-old, was about to pray. And she said, Dad, before we pray, I just want you to know, do you know that Jesus is God? And I said, I, I do. She said, okay, I was just checking. And so, <laughs> heresy police, they're in my house. So, but, but anyway, as a child, you can understand the simplicity of who God is is and who Jesus is. I want you to think about John and where we have been. Jesus has addressed complex topics. The one that we revisited, I think, six times was judicial hardening, how God hardens the heart and chooses to do so for His own glorious ends. Every time I dealt with that topic, that's a complex thing to understand. We've talked about other complex topics as well. There's hard stuff to understand in John, but the summary is this. Jesus is God. He's the Son of God, and He loves you. Believe in Him. I love the simplicity of the Gospel. I love how John reduces all the complexity down into this simple, simple notion that Jesus is who He says He is. You can trust Him. There's an authenticity to His life. Also, John has not just addressed complex topics. He has told difficult stories. Perhaps the most difficult story that he told was when Jesus told the crowds to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, and if you did not do so, they would have no part with him. Of course, he's not talking about vampirism or cannibalism here. He is referencing the spiritual aspect that he is, his body and blood is by our means of being made right with God, that His body was broken for us, His blood was shed for us, and if we do not receive what He's done for us, we have no part with the Father. But that was a difficult thing for them to understand. He's told hard stuff. When you look at John, there's a lot of stuff in there that's not just complex. There's some stuff in there that's hard to accept. But he comes to the end and says, in the summary of all of it, Jesus is the Son of God. He is who He says He is. Don't get caught in the weeds. Don't get caught in the difficult stuff. Jesus really is who He says He is. You can believe. John's summary is simple. John's summary is simple. God loves the world and He sent His Son to die in our place. Believe in Him. Look at these three passages that we've looked at over the last two years. John chapter 1, verses 11 through 12. The Word of our God says this, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave right to become children of God. There at the beginning of the Gospel, if you will believe in Jesus, you are made right with God. John 3, 16-18, a passage that you know, but one that we looked at in the past two and a half years. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of of the only Son of God. We have seen Jesus proclaimed as the One from God, the God-man, the only Son of God, and that by believing, you will have life in His name. One of the stories that we looked at that I think is one of the most, the most stunning 
is John 11, 47 through 52, where the high priest Caiaphas, you remember this story, prophesied that Jesus should die in place of the nation. Let me remind you of this. Let me read it to you again. So the chief priests, this is after the resurrection of Lazarus, so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not just for the nation only, but as also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. John's summary is simple. He has addressed it chapter after chapter after chapter. God loves the world. He sent His Son to die in your place. Believe in Him. Don't miss the point of this Gospel. Believe in Jesus. But there's another thing that took place for John. As he's an older man and he's coming to the end of his book, as he aged, John grew in awe of Jesus. John grew in awe of Jesus. Grew in his awe of Jesus. Look down in verse number 25. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. This is chapter 21. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Doesn't that sound like a reflective statement? Doesn't that sound like someone who has had a full life of seeing Jesus work over and over again? And by the time John is writing this, he's not just reflecting on the time he walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus, but he's seen how Jesus has continued to work in the world through his church. And as John comes to the end of it and he looks back and he's thinking about all that Jesus has done in his life, he says, listen, even if all the books in the world were put together, it could not encapsulate who this man the God-man Jesus is. John did not have time to tell us all he knew of Jesus. By the way, I need to take a moment here and just say something here. It is so important for you to tell your children and your grandchildren what the Lord has done for you. It is so important for you to tell your children and your grandchildren what the Lord has done for you. You may say, well, Brother Matt, they're, they're, not, they're not listening to me. No, they are. They are listening more than you think they are listening. And in future days, those children and grandchildren, when times get tough, will fall back on your stories of faith, of how God has been faithful to you, and those will become guideposts in their life, but they won't have them if you don't tell them. Tell your children, tell your grandchildren what the Lord has done for you. If you're like me, you're like John, as you grow in age and you see God work in various ways, you grow in your awe and your appreciation of Jesus. 
that like John at the end of your life, you could say, listen, if I could tell you all that Jesus has done for me, it would take all the books in the world. John did not have time to tell us all he knew of Jesus, but he told us some very important things. Also, John did not have the words to write to us all he knew of Jesus. John did not have the words to write to us all he knew of Jesus. There's this sense of speechlessness that John has at the end of the book. It's like John is taking this just this gasp of air at the end to think, oh man, if I, if I just had time, if I just had space to tell you about this person, Jesus, this is what we're feeling at the end. You see, John ended his gospel speechless, not because he ran out of things to say, because he knew he could never put it into words. There's a story in Corinthians where Paul is translated, or at least we believe it to be Paul, to the third heaven where it says that he sees things that are not uh, able to be explained. He said, it's not lawful for me to explain. Paul seeing the other side in the third heaven, the heavenly places where God and the angels are. And he says, listen, it's not lawful for a man to explain such things. What that means is I don't have the words. And for me to try to use the words to tell you what heaven is like, Paul is saying, I would butcher it because I don't have the words. John is the same thing. At the end of his book, he's saying, I don't have the words to tell you what Jesus is to me. Which brings me to this final thing, which is this. John ended his life with two requests, and they're found in another book. Another book that John wrote, the book of Revelation. As John ended his life, there were two requests, and you can read them both in Revelation 22. And they are so fitting considering the book of John as he has just said, listen, I've written this book to you that you might believe. And I've written this stuff to you that you would believe. And if I wrote to you everything, not even the books in all of the world would be able to contain what I could tell you about Jesus. But then in Revelation 22, he says this. First, he says, come to Jesus. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17, John says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. John, when he comes to the end of it all, he says, come to Jesus. As he aged, and he even wrote Revelation after he wrote the Gospel of John, his message is still the same. Come to Jesus. He is who he says he is. Don't worry about the part you can't understand. There are things that we're never going to understand. But if you look at John's Gospel, there's an authenticity to who, of who this person of Jesus is. And he says, come, come, come. And then he says one other thing. John, at the end of his life, the other request that he has is not just for everyone who reads his books to come to Jesus. But he says, come, Lord Jesus. John comes to the end of it all and he says in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, 
Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. John, when he summed it all up, the very last thing he was talking about is Jesus. You know, life's really short. We all, we all know this. Sometimes we live in denial. Life is really short. My youth minister growing up in Memphis is a fellow by the name of Phil Newberry. Phil um, was my youth minister when I was a kid. He was Andrea's youth minister. Uh, Phil's had a tremendous impact on me. Phil is now in his 60s and he is, he is dying. He is... Um, Kidney cancer, uh, has, he's battled it for years now. But in my ordination, when I was, I don't remember how old I was when I was ordained. How old was I? 2005, 21 years old. In my ordination, there were many men that came by and laid hands and prayed for me. Laid hands on me and prayed for me and asked God to bless my ministry. And I can't remember everything that was said. I remember two things. One of the men who came by, came by and said the strangest of prayers. He laid his hand on me and he said, Matt, after this, we need you to go and stand on the other side of the stage, okay? I appreciate it. God bless you. (laughs) Amen. Thank you. That stands out to me. I remember that one because I remember thinking, what? <laughs> Godspeed. All right, so. But then the other one was Phil. I remember Phil whispered into my ear. He said, okay, Matt. Here it is. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be that the lamp of my life was burned out for thee. When John came to the end of it all, he was grateful that he knew Jesus, but he still stood in awe of him. So I extend to you today, take another look at Jesus today. If you don't know him, you should. Because He knows you and He loves you. He died for you. He wrote this this whole book for you. And He stands with outstretched, nail-scarred hands to you today saying, come to Me. Doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. He says, come to Me. If you do know Him, and as you sit here and you think about your life and time spent living for the Lord, time not spent living for the Lord, the message today is the same. Come to Jesus anew and afresh. Rest assured that He is the Son of God who loves you. Stake your life on His promises and you can know that it's true. Won't you come to Jesus today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You so much for this time. Lord, I ask that we would never get over our awe of You. That, Lord, we would be like John when we come to the end of it all. We would say, there's no way I could tell you 
about Jesus. Lord, I pray today you would renew our sense of awe and appreciation of who you are. And Lord, for anyone here that doesn't know you, today, Lord, may they come to know you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.